Welcome back to Apod Latcha. My name is Chuck Cora, and I'm here with my co-host, Big John Eisner. I'm here. I'm back. I'm surprised they let me back in, but more than happy to to be back. He's back for now, baby. John, how was your uh, your Christmas? It was actually pretty awesome. My wife ended up buying me a beer-making kit, so I'm sure that we'll be rolling out Appalachia beer pretty soon. Um, you know, merch. Not a sponsor, but maybe some merch. Um, love that yeah. merch. So, yeah, you gotta love the merch. Um, but yeah, so ended up having a great Christmas. Lots of family. My sister came in from Norway, so that's pretty awesome. Uh, she only comes in once a year, so good to see her. How was yours? Mine was pretty great. I am currently recording from New Smyrna Beach, Florida, where my in-laws live, and we've been in Central Florida the past week. They actually, uh, well, they and my wife got me a toolbox and tool, toolbox? A rolling toolbox for Christmas, uh, which is great because all my tools are strewn throughout our garage. So I can pretend to be organized, and it'll look like I know how to fix things. I I gotta say, I think you might be the only person to ever do a podcast about a region, but you're never in that region. <laughs> Listen, we have the <laughs> coastal elite. I full look. I fully embrace who I am. I'm an expat, expat Alachian, and. That's just who I am. Look, I I will say this. It's been very rainy in Florida, but I've loved it. Um, we uh, we brought the big dog down, the coon hound. She went out and chased some goats. Uh, almost got her butt whooped by a billy goat, but uh, managed to avoid that, so that's great. Uh, and, and now I'm here. Yeah, you in Florida, man. Uh, beautiful West Virginia, no rain here. I think it's actually probably one of the few, few times... Uh, that I can say that we have better weather than Florida. I'm glad to be right here in Parkersburg, West Virginia, home of DuPont. <laughs> and for more on DuPont, see our first episode. What a what dark water segue. What a segue. What is hot? If you're listening and this is the third episode you listen to, I mean, you've got to just notice the improvements. We're still in the beginning of this episode. Let's hope it's an improvement. <laughs> Probably laughing. Well, speaking of segues, uh, Big John, what uh, what are we talking about today? Oh, you know I'm going to get fired up today, Chuck. Today is a day that we get to finally talk. I know, three episodes in, I say finally, but I wanted this <laughs> probably to be episode one because it fires me up so much, um, which you know that means Beef with Big John is going to be Pretty epic today. What we're going to talk about today <laughs> is stereotypes of Appalachia. And I know it has. I know it Chuck. Which ones? Because there's so many. There's none. None. No, there's no stereotypes of this place. We come out smooth and clean. Nobody makes fun of us. Nothing. You're crazy. No, I mean... I'm sitting here in Parkersburg, West Virginia, holding their stereotypes, and uh, we—I mean—we live the good life. 
Ah, uh, okay. Well, so yeah, we are talking about stereotypes today. This is something that you and I have both been looking forward to talking about for a while now. It's something that I think that fires a lot of people up that are from Appalachia because we get this shit all the damn time. All right, Chuck, let's jump into it. And I know each of us have kind of different stories and things that have happened to us, but let's let's hear one of yours. When have you been faced with a, a stereotype of Appalachia? Yeah, well, many times. One example that sticks out to me is, well, in high school, I was part of a, a youth group at our Episcopal church that often traveled um, to different parts of the region, usually in like Maryland or the parts of Virginia, D.C. area, to meet up with other youth, like Episcopal youth, and, and do that whole fellowship thing, yada, yada. Well, so we, we were at one, and it was in Metro D.C., and we met up with these kids from pretty affluent suburb of Washington, D.C., and they were really, they'd never met anybody from West Virginia before. And they're like, oh, wow, like, so you do have shoes. It, which is just like, I, I thought they were joking to begin with. But then, like, I realized, I was like, oh, like, they're legitimately asking me this. Because they're sort of serious. It was very bizarre. And it also just, like, opened my eyes to the fact that, like, oh, people outside of Appalachia, outside of West Virginia actually perceive us in this way that was to me mind-boggling and very honestly uh really disturbing that that that's how we're perceived yeah i mean i think that happens to to most of us i mean especially i think the the funniest part about it is uh, it even happens in our own state uh for instance when i went to wvu for law school, I met kids from New Jersey who admitted that they had stereotypes of us uh, before they came to the flagship university of the state. So I think it's just, uh, it kind of illuminates how far these stereotypes go. Yeah, and how deeply ingrained they are in outsiders' perception of Appalachians. It's a huge problem, and we'll get into that. First, I think what we're going to do is we're going to break down some of the more common things, more common stereotypes that we hear, and we're going to talk about them and our personal experiences with them. And so, today we're talking about incest. I wish I didn't have to say that, but unfortunately, it is a huge problem as far as stereotypes are concerned with Appalachia, uh, although it's not an actual problem in the region. John, I don't know what your experience has been with this. I think it's incredibly frustrating, and I would say it's one of the more common stereotypes that I hear about Appalachians is that we're a bunch of inbreds. It's, uh, yeah, it's lazy comedy is what I like to call it. It's uh, somebody who doesn't understand uh, how to create their own joke or how to actually be funny at all. So they have to continue with these stereotypes that they think are funny, um, but are actually uh, some of the dumbest jokes <laughs> that they could think of and... It's always it's always the people who make these jokes that you kind of look at and you're like, okay, so what's wrong with you? 
Because if you're making this joke about a region that you probably, one, don't know anything about, or two, are unable to actually educate yourself about, uh, there's probably something about you that makes you insecure to tell these jokes. Well, John, I don't disagree with you at all. In fact, I agree completely. Uh, and so I did a tiny bit of research on the background of this stereotype because it's been so ingrained in discussions about Appalachia and in particular where we're from, West Virginia, that I wanted to understand a little bit more about where it came from and why it's become a stereotype. Tell but me if it's to blame. blame. Tell me if it is to blame. <laughs> well, I can't point my finger at one particular person, but so there's a great article on Slate, and I'll link to it in the show notes. And it it had talked about a lot of things, um, but essentially, it, it a lot of it roots back to poverty. Now, one of the things that they mention is that in the early years, even the 1880s, 1890s, when people would write about traveling through Appalachia and looking for quote local color, as they put it they overstated the degree to which mountain populations lived in isolation. So isolation is a really big part of this. They would report back and write in their logs about large families living together in, quote, ramshackle cabins. And so the article goes on to say that the notion of widespread inbreeding was at least in part the result of crude assumptions about how these isolated people might have been perpetuating their communities. So basically what they're saying is that a People came into the region and they assumed that all these people living in these small cabins and isolation were basically just fucking each other and and procreating and they were all families. And that's at least in part where the root of this whole incestuous stereotype comes from, which I think is, number one, is interesting from a historic standpoint, yes, but number two... It shows you already at the beginning just how misinformed and how ignorant that stereotype already is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's another one of those things that was built off of, um, I won't call it lies, but misinformation. And, and we see it all the time. Um, a lot of people like to, I think, refer to things now as fake news. Well, let me tell you, incest in Appalachia is fake news. Big John is correct on incest being fake news in Appalachia. In fact, I do have a study that backs up that statement. Uh, In 1980, anthropologist Robert Tincher, and again, this is from the same Slate article, published a study uh, about population and inbreeding in southern Appalachia based on 140 years worth of marriage records and concluded that inbreeding levels in Appalachia, quote, are neither unique nor particularly common to the region, which refutes essentially everything and every stereotype suggested about this. Not so some people will be like, okay, you guys are talking about the Holy Spirit, but how does the Holy Spirit talk to you? How do you know he's having a conversation with you or um, how would I put it? How would you know that he's sitting here with us at th- at this moment? Um, that's a good question, and uh, I'm going to see if I can answer it to the best of my ability. When you know, you just know. Mm-hmm. Because I know when it's the Holy Spirit, and when I know when it's something else. Because, for example, 
good. I like that. 104 years, you say? That doesn't seem like much time at all. We should do another study with more years. That's what it'll take to convince people. Damn right. People need 150. You give him a, you give a mouse a cookie, he'll say that you're incestuous. <laughs> I say that. It's a joke, obviously. Um, this is how ridiculous these claims are, though. That it, we've done... <laughs> We have wasted time. This who whoever this uh, person was that did this study, wasted time going through a hundred and forty years <laughs> of marriage records. Put that through your head that we have created this stupid t- stereotype to the point where somebody thought, you know what I'll do as a landmark in my career? I'm gonna <laughs> sit down through a hundred and forty years of marriage records to prove that people are having sex with their sisters in Appalachia. This is what we... We have other things we can focus on, people. Not sure if you've heard, cancer hasn't been cured yet, but for the fact that we spent time researching 140 years, Chuck, 140 years, to talk about something that's not real. That's like going through a thousand years researching unicorns. Both of them aren't real. You gotta wonder a number of things. One of which being, is this guy who published this study, Robert Tincher, he has to be an Appalachian. Oh, grew up in Berea, Kentucky. Goddamn right. You knew it. You knew it. He had this, he dealt with the same shit. And he published a damn study about it. Yeah, he gets it. That's how pissed he is. If if I if I had the intention span to sit down, I would have gone through 160 years. This guy, I mean, he he spent his entire time. <laughs> this is what a hell of a way to like just settle a beef with someone. Uh, you know, you know, somebody got to him. Somebody pissed this guy off enough to do this. Anyway. Yeah, so this guy was pissed, and he published, like, a 24-page study. So, um... Well, okay, and and one of the things I'll say about this is is part of the reason why this is still a problem, uh, the stereotype, is because it has been ingrained in the popular culture when talking about Appalachia. And the most notable examples I can think of, again, I reference West Virginia because it's usually one of the largest butts of this joke. But back in around like 2003, 2004, when Abercrombie and Fitch put out the shirt, It's All Relative in West Virginia, where they had the outline of the state. And that was obviously a reference to uh, incest. But then also the Wrong Turn series of movies where they're, the premise of it is that they're there the premise of it is that there are inbred cannibal hillbillies in the hills of West Virginia that terrorize the protagonists of the movie. And that certainly does not help when we try to like tear down these stereotypes and try to prove them wrong. Especially when people like Robert Tencher are publishing studies that refute it with fact-based evidence. The least that we can do with our profound listener base is amplify his research so that more people can see it. So I will link to it in the show notes. And Robert Tincher is welcome on this podcast anytime to talk more about this. 
So let's pivot from incest. I didn't think I'd ever say that. That is the weirdest thing I think you've ever said. Well, at least it's the weirdest thing I've ever said that will be recorded and sent to the world, but here we are. All right, where are we pivoting? We're pivoting to the second... I, I would say these are not necessarily ranked in order of importance or in prevalence, but we have identified four different like broad buckets of stereotypes, one of which we talked about was incest. The second is dumb hillbillies dumb hillbillies so dumb hillbillies this is just this one is so annoying and it is so i would say as prevalent as the incest jokes because it encompasses so much like broadly and just really plays it like the most like i think it really plays it the most hurtful stereotypes for the region and when i say hurtful what i mean is it damages the reputation of appalachia and it damages the reputation of the people that come here and it i think arguably prevents people from giving the region serious consideration whether it be for traveling for tourism or for investing doing economic development that type of thing is this notion that we're all a bunch of dumb uneducated hillbillies that live in shacks and wear coveralls. I get where you're going with this, Chuck. And actually, uh, this stereotype has a lot of relevancy during my time in law school because I interviewed for actually a super, uh, I will call it, I wouldn't say prestigious because I was a terrible law student. I have no idea how I got an interview. Uh, but I interviewed with a major company. Uh, I'm not going to say any names because that's stupid. Uh, but we're talking like worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. I interviewed, I made the the second round uh, and I got to interview with somebody at a higher level. Uh, and one of the first things they said to me was, huh, I'm, I'm really surprised to see somebody West, from West Virginia make it this far. And I just took that as like maybe they didn't have a lot of applicants from West Jeez. Virginia uh, or or something like that. But as we went on in the interview, they started to become maybe a little bit more clear on what they meant by that comment because about 10 minutes in, that person stopped me and said, are you really from West Virginia because you don't sound like it? And at that point, I kind of knew how they felt about me that they or how they felt about where I was from at least they thought I was going to come in uh you know sorry something's passing um they thought I was going to come in even though they know that I'm I'm obtaining a law degree which is pretty hard to do I would argue uh but they still had this preconceived notion that I was going to be a certain type of way that was going to be less than the other applicants in the pool and I think that's when my eyes kind of opened to where I was like, wait a second. Now, not only is this affecting me, you know, on social media or with friends maybe from out of state that make jokes, but this is affecting my career by just telling people where I'm from. Your example is really interesting and unfortunately probably all too common. I think that when people at least in my experience, when I've told people I'm from West Virginia, I'm from Appalachia, they look at it like, oh, wow, you really you really made it out of there, huh? 
Like you really, you really made something of yourself. And to get, because I was in law school, <laughs> it's not like I started a Fortune 100 business or something. All right, and let's be real here. Yeah, you did. They're like, oh, like, how'd you make it out? You know, like you're one of the ones that made it. Like, come, that's absurd. Number one. Number two, it just shows. Like, I think this all relates back to and people's perception of how destitute Appalachia is, right? So, like, they look at this like, oh, wow, like, he, this is, like, one of those rags-to-riches things because I'm in law school. <laughs> in fact, I'm going into debt. <laughs> exactly, yeah, right? <laughs> to kind of, like, refocus on the dumb hillbillies thing, you know, I think what people's perception of the region is oftentimes equated to, again, how popular culture perceives us. Look at the Beverly Hillbillies, for example. It's these ramshackle people that show up in this, like, busted-ass car, and they're wearing their coveralls. They strike it rich. Perception of them being these uneducated buffoons that just happen to get lucky, I think, has been ingrained in the culture, again, along with these other stereotypes, and it's being perpetuated time and time again. And the perfect example of that is this TV show. It was on for one season. It's called Buck Wild. Oh, God. If, yeah, do you remember? I'll read a letter. I wrote a letter to Senator Manchin about this. And look, I at the time, like, I looked at it as this, this is like, this is just, I watched every episode. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, like, this is how our home is being perceived by millions of people. It was, let me, let me rewind. Buck Wild was a reality TV show on MTV that was akin to the Jersey Shore, but instead of being set in the Jersey Shore and using the stereotype of Guidos, it was set in West Virginia and used the stereotype of dumb, uneducated hillbillies. Yep. And they picked the pe- the they picked people that perfectly embodied that stereotype and put them on TV for everyone to see. And that's the perception people get from that. Is they look at that just as, and I'm sure that this is the same for people from New Jersey, and I'd love to hear from them about this with with Jersey Shore. That that's the way that people now perceive New Jersey because of Jersey Shore. That's the way that people perceive Appalachia and especially West Virginia because of shows like Buck Wild. Now, Buck Wild, to be fair, was not anywhere nearly as popular or commercially successful as Jersey Shore for a number of reasons, but I think it still remains true that like that that show got greenlit because it perpetuated stereotypes like the dumb hillbillies that already exist. Yeah, I, I think, too, uh, you brought up a good, actually a, re- a really good uh, example of... Don't sound so surprised. Well, I am actually surprised, but I think I, I'm more... Su- I'm not more surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised that you brought it up. I'm not surprised you brought it up. I'm more surprised that you missed the, you missed the connection to your law school days. Like you were talking about Beverly Hillbillies. Not only did they strike it rich, but... They struck it rich and immediately left where they were from because just like how you were talking about how others said, oh, you made it out. This show is about somebody getting a lot of money and immediately leaving where they are, a.k.a. you made it out. It's a, no, it, it's a really good point that that shows like what people think about areas like West Virginia. And, and if you don't know, Beverly Hillbillies were from Missouri, Um so not in Appalachia, but they were portrayed as what you would see the stereotypes of 
uh, Appalachia as. So it's a really good connection there. Um, but they couldn't just be rich in the area they were from. No, 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 no. They had to leave for, quote unquote, be a better area so that they could be with people that were better and had the money to be as good as they wanted to be. And I've always found that funny that um, when you get money, uh, you're almost expected to leave if you're from Appalachia or a very country area uh, or rural area, you're not supposed to stay in people's minds. You're supposed to leave because you made it out. You made it big. It's very true. And look, I, I, we're talking about this and I'm sitting here as someone who did leave. And, and this is not to say that like the region is doing great economically and doesn't have problems. It has immense problems, but these stereotypes Number one, don't help those problems. Number two, perpetuate the perception of these problems as something other than what they are. Number three, they stymie the ability for Appalachia to recover economically and to thrive economically in certain ways. Could you imagine, just picture this, you're the CEO of a company, maybe you're outside the United States, you've never been to an area like West Virginia or Kentucky, so you only research it. If you Google West Virginia and Kentucky, what do you think comes up? I mean, I mean, imagine that. Why would you, why, if you are basing it off of what people either write in the news or what people like to focus on, because we know, obviously, like, sad news or, or bad news sells. That's what sells now. It's not good news. No one wants to talk about, you know, how Huntington, West Virginia has dropped, dropped significantly in uh, overdose deaths, but they do want to talk about the number of overdose deaths. They don't want to tell you that it's dropped. They just want to tell you that it's a lot. And it's never a good picture. And I think that's part of the problem with these stereotypes is that you have companies that don't know anything about the area, so they have to base it off of what either they research or companies that they hire to do this research. And you can't tell me that these people, these human beings, are going to have these stigmas when they do this quote-unquote research. They are. I mean, we've we've seen it with other companies, and we've had people even talk about how they don't want to come to areas like this because they viewed it as not enough education uh, for potential workers or too big of a drug problem, even though things are actually getting better in that sense. Uh, and you hear it all the time. And, and so that's why these stereotypes are such a problem. Yes, Appalachia has issues. Every every area in this country has issues. The problem is that Appalachia is consistently placed in a negative light. And because of that, we'll continue to have issues that can't be fixed unless we get past these stereotypes to actually build up this region. And that's why we're focusing on doing this this episode. Well said. I think that's a perfect place to put a button on the dumb hillbilly thing for right now, and I'm sure that we'll be coming back to it in this episode, but also in future episodes, because it is something that is so common and so annoying. But the next one that we have is one that just really bothers me. And it bothers me because there are pockets of truth to it, but it is not representative of the region itself. The third stereotype that we're talking about is that 
Appalachia is full of a bunch of racists. And you have probably heard it, as have I. And sadly, we have seen it, but you can go anywhere in this country and find racists. Any, everywhere. You can go to the most liberal parts of California and find racists. You can go to the most conservative parts of Oklahoma and find racists. It's not endemic of where you are. I came across this article that was written in the University of Virginia student newspaper that I think particularly, A, highlighted the problem of this stereotype, and B, also just really, I think, expressed the ignorance of other people coming to the region about this issue. And so I won't get into it a lot. I won't quote from it a lot. But basically, the article is about a girl who did service trips to West Virginia annually to do um, relief work for flood victims and things like that. She went to Preston County frequently. And the article, um, it's titled, My Service Trip to West Virginia Raises Ethical Questions. And basically, the call of the article was, that they ran across a couple instances of of racism and racist signs, such as like Confederate flags, or I think one example was a Nazi swastika at a person's house that they were helping. And they used this as justification to say that they were not planning to return the following summer because of this, because they encountered this, and because they feel like it raises ethical questions for them to go back to the region. And I find that incredible in a number of ways. Number one is that you use a couple isolated examples of where you encountered racism in an area to paint with a broad brush about that region, and particularly Preston County. I think that I think that's troubling for a number of reasons, but it, to me, it just shows like so much lack of exposure. I think, I think it shows a certain level of ignorance that you view that as representative of the entire population. And look, I'm not excusing any of that. It's awful. Like, the Confederate flag is a symbol of racism. Hard stop. Obviously, a swastika is as well. Nobody wants to encounter that. Nobody endorses that on this podcast anyway. And it's not to say that that's acceptable, but... If I were to use that as an example of, let's say that I, like, I'm sitting here in Florida right now, and I've passed a number of Confederate flags along the highway, and I'm sure that there is a resident within the state that has a swastika in their private residence. Now, is that despicable? Absolutely. But is it representative of the state of Florida? Hell no. Right. We're at a point now where, and I'm sure it's, it's probably because of social media and everything like that, but everybody that goes anywhere wants to group everybody together. They wanna they wanna say, I saw this, so that means this. And she decided that what she viewed something as or the way that she saw things was exactly the way they had to be. She missed probably one of the most I would argue, one of the most beautiful things about Appalachia. There's always been a sense of community. I mean, if you look at West Virginia in general, I mean, they voted Democrat for 80 years, and then a sharp right turn came after that, and they started to get uh, pretty conservative. But you still have a sense of community in places like Appalachia. It's not just become this hate-filled area that people want you to think it is. 
And I think that's what's so frustrating is, are there racist people that live in Appalachia? Yes. Are there racist people that live in California? Yes. Are there racist people that live in New York? Yes. That doesn't mean everyone's racist. That doesn't mean everybody's a bad person. And that doesn't mean that you get to come into an area that, and then decide what a region means. Because if that was the case, where is she from? Virginia, right? Uh, yeah, in University of Virginia, which is located in Charlottesville. <laughs> right. So, but that that is so hypocritical to say, okay, West Virginia, you're not good enough for me, but I'm going to go back to Virginia where- To Charlottesville. Yeah, to Charlottesville. And forget all the other stuff. It's true. And and look, I think her her viewpoint is certainly, I think, one that's exhibited by many people. And again, I think this draws back to a theme that we have uncovered throughout this episode so far, which is that there is like it's these stereotypes are perpetuated by society and by pop culture and have helped further ingrain those stereotypes into our into people's psyche. And so uh, an example, I mean, look, I, I love The Daily Show and I watched it a lot growing up, but during the 2008 Democratic primary, they brought cameras outside of polling places and were interviewing people about who they voted for. And I, I don't know if I can find the clip of it. I tried to find it earlier, but I couldn't. Uh, so if I do, I can, I'll can i share it in the show notes. But basically, they cherry-picked a bunch of people who asked, and they asked them who they were voting for. And I believe like it went that they said, like, oh, yeah, I'm voting for Hillary Clinton because Barack Obama is, insert racial slur or racist stereotype there, you know? And so, and that was in West Virginia. And, and I'm sure the, like, the same has been perpetuated throughout a lot of different parts of Appalachian, where there is this perception that because it's a rural area and because it tends to vote Republican, that they're a bunch of racists and they don't know what they're talking about and that they don't know what's good for them. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Chuck. This this isn't about this article. It's about what this article stands for, which is that somebody came into Appalachia, saw a few things they didn't like, and decided that that is what all of Appalachia had to be. And it's those types of articles and stereotypes that continue to portray Appalachia in a negative light without actually even knowing what the region is. And you can't, like, if you're trying to disprove that stereotype, you can't just say, here's a bunch of examples of people not being racist, because that's just not how something like that works. But, uh, it, 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 again, it just and it exposes this inherent flaw in that argument. And it just really, like, I think it really devalues the people that live in Appalachia to paint them with a broad brush and call them racist is so disingenuous and it's wrong because like that shows that you're not willing to give those people a chance. With that, Big John, I think that's a good way to wrap up the racism section and we will move on to our fourth and final stereotype, which is welfare kings and queens. What do we mean by this? Well, John, I know that you have heard this stereotype a lot, and so have I. It's a stereotype that suggests that people in Appalachia nuzzle up to the teat of government and take advantage of government resources without really putting in their fair time or doing the hard work. They instead rely on the government to pay their bills. Something that's been annoying to me over my lifetime because... I think I mentioned it on the podcast before. I grew up with a single mom. She had four kids. The 
every single time we did anything. People just saw my mom and four kids and assumed that she was using uh, an EBT card or that she was using, um, you know, Medicaid card. She's using food stamps. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's just the fact that people constantly view anybody like that. And and this may not even just be an Appalachian thing. This just may be, so, you know, a socioeconomic stereotype. But we hear about a lot in the news that uh, places in Appalachia, or, you know, this region continues to, quote unquote, uh, you know, milk the government. And that blows my mind because, Chuck, you and I both know that some of the hardest working people in the country are from right here in Appalachia. Yeah, absolutely. I And I grew up with many of them, including my dad, one of the hardest working people I know. I think that's one of the things that bothers me the most about it, this perception that Appalachians don't work hard and that they just expect the government to take care of them. That's a stereotype. I think that's broadly used by conservatives a lot of times to paint liberals or to paint Democrats, but I think really it's it's used a lot to paint Appalachians because I think again, perpetuated by popular culture and nothing more on point than uh, J.D. Vance and his book Hillbilly Elegy. And if you haven't read it, I don't know. Like, I don't suggest reading it, but if you want to understand a little bit more about what we're talking about here, I would say read the Cliff Notes version of it. When I first started reading it, I, I bought into it initially. I thought, okay, great. Like somebody's talking about their story from this region and they're going to talk about the struggles going up here, but they're also going to start talking about the great people and it's going to be really good. And I started reading it and I was really disappointed because like J.D. Vance's story is this whole like rags to riches thing. You like grew up in poverty with a mom who was addicted to pills or something and then went on to, to go to Yale Law School, yada, yada, yada. But like he kind of dunks on Appalachians a little bit. I, I pulled I pulled some of the quotes from the book. One of the things he says is that many folks talk about working more than they actually do, and he refers to Appalachians as white welfare queens. Again, painting with such a broad brush about one person's generalized experience is not like endemic of an entire population. That This type of generalization happens in a lot of things, but especially when it comes to Appalachian stereotypes. One person sees one one person abusing the welfare system, and they take that person and 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 they decide to paint off with a broad brush for everybody that's like them, and it's wrong and it's inaccurate. It's such a mischaracterization of who Appalachians are in the most purest form, and I say that, and John says that as well because we've both seen the opposite. We grew up, and we like. I like to think that we're hardworking too. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tout how hardworking I am because that seems a bit self-serving. But I grew up. My parents worked their asses off. My sister works her ass off. So many of the people that we grew up with worked their fingers to the bone on low-wage jobs or or very poor-paying jobs in order to support their family, in order to get by and get ahead, and put food on the table and put a roof over their head. And this is probably one of the more offensive stereotypes because it just like it it denigrates Appalachians and it reduces us to this this government leech, I guess you could say, would agree with that. And because of the people that they know. And if we want to make broad sleeping generalizations, 
my representative sample of people who are hardworking, who don't rely on the government, is much more broad and much deeper than the maybe one or two people I know that were taking advantage of government benefits. It's certainly not something that that is exclusive to Appalachia. I mean, as with many of these other stereotypes, you can look at any other state in the country, you can look at any other region in the country and find just as many, if not more, of the same types of situations and same examples to go by. Yeah, I mean, those are all good points. I think one of the biggest things is that kind of, this kind of connects to um, what we were talking about before, the problem with economic development in the region. And you hit on this, people are not, people in Appalachia aren't just working their asses off. They're working their asses off for low-paying jobs. Why do they have low-paying jobs? Because of a lack of economic development throughout the region where these stereotypes, like we've argued, have been a reason why some companies haven't moved here, a.k.a. why people don't make a lot of money in the region and essentially why some people are forced to have government benefits. My question has always been for people who like to tout that they're not on government benefits or like to argue that people shouldn't get benefits. Do you think people want to be on benefits? There are a lot of people who don't want that. They would much rather be able to go to work, make a livable wage, and be able to put food on their table by themselves. That's not always an option. And there are a lot of people, there are a hell of a lot of people in Appalachia who one, would qualify for benefits, two, who need benefits, but are so unwilling to take benefits because of these stupid stereotypes because they don't want to be viewed as just another mooch. And they're they're embarrassed that that's what this has come to. They don't want to do this, and they refuse to, and therefore they end up suffering even though these benefits could actually help them maybe even create a better life for themselves and their family. That's what these stereotypes do. They don't just hurt the region. They hurt individuals within the region who actually need help. And that's probably one of the most disgusting things about this. And I think that's one of the things I get fired up with um, because, I mean, there were a lot of times when I was growing up that my mom needed benefits. She, she needed the benefits. You know, there were times where she she went without so that we would, you know, the four of us would be okay. And if we would have had benefits, then we would have probably been a little bit better off. But my mom didn't want to accept them, and she had too much pride to. And if we were, if we talked to her today about it, it would probably be one of the things that she would mention is she didn't want to be another quote-unquote mooch. And that's because the stupid stereotype that has infected Appalachia and made us seem like we are a region who doesn't like to work when in fact it's the opposite, we're the hardest working people in the country, and I'll put us up against anybody, I don't care who, uh, you won't outwork the people in Appalachia. The other thing that I think is is actually pretty funny is that these places that we view as prestigious, and I'm going to hit on where you live now, Chuck, and I apologize, um, but we view D.C. and California and uh, places like Texas and as these, you know, these people who make a lot of money and would never mooch off the system. But actually, in 2015, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services had a report. And this report actually showed the most frivolous spending 
in Medicare waste. The top 10, you may be surprised. I was a little surprised because of this stupid stereotype. The top 10 are actually Washington, D.C., Delaware, Texas, New Jersey, Oklahoma, Connecticut, Louisiana, Pennsylvania, California, and Arkansas. Those aren't the ones that you would think of, and it's because of the stereotype. Yeah, I think that's all true, and and I think that's a perfect way to button that up. With that, I think we're, we're going to close it out, Big John. If you are not already following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, follow us at Lasha A-P-P-O-D-L-A-C-H-I-A. And please give us a rating and review. It helps other people find us, and it helps us understand what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and what we can do better. I'm not going to lie to you, pretty worn out after that beef. <laughs>